Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. I'm sure you've all heard it before, that there are a few careers that are just inherently stressful. Air traffic controller, inner city school teacher, bomb squad officer, hostage negotiator. We would probably add UT head coach in a losing season. Not surprisingly, baseball umpire is on the list as well. I'm sure some of you know George Will. He's the Pulitzer Prize winning columnist for Newsweek and for the Washington Post. If you've ever read anything Will has written, you probably also know that, like me, he is a huge baseball fan. Several years ago, George Will wrote a column about major league umpires. In the article, he quoted Richie Garcia, who was one of the best umpires in the American League during his time. In fact, Garcia ran an umpiring school where he taught the basic rules and fundamentals of the baseball game, but also Garcia taught the psychology of the profession to these would-be umpires. And one of the most important lessons he wanted his students to learn was, just because they're yelling at you doesn't mean you're wrong. Just because they're yelling at you doesn't mean you're wrong. These days, that sounds like a good reminder not only for umpires, but for presidents and school teachers and customer service technicians and parents of teenagers and even Jesus himself. Just because they're yelling at you doesn't mean you're wrong. Think about it. Jesus seems to spend most of his ministry with people being upset with him. No sooner has he returned from his 40 days being tempted by the devil in the wilderness than he goes to preach a sermon at his home church in Nazareth. And in that one sermon, he manages to offend so many people that they march him out of the synagogue, out to the edge of town, and try to throw him off a cliff. In the very next paragraph, there are demons yelling at him from a graveyard. Matthew tells us that Jesus then sends those demons into a herd of pigs and over a cliff, which can't possibly have helped him win favor with all the pig farmers. And it's, seem, and it's seemingly the same story every day for three years. The Pharisees chastise Jesus for breaking Sabbath law. The Roman government accuses him of treason. The chief priests call him a blasphemer. For those who want to follow Jesus, Jesus warns them not to expect much better. Brother will betray brother to death, he says. And a sister, a sister. And a parent, a child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated all because of my name. Wow. Amazing. Where do we sign up? And yelling at Jesus seems to be the theme of most of the events of Holy Week. The crowds cheer him when he enters the city on that Palm Sunday morning, but then by Monday, he angers the merchants selling goods in the temple. 
And then Tuesday, the Pharisees try to trap him in a theological argument. Then on Wednesday, he's accused of wasting perfectly good perfume. And on Thursday, his best friend sells him out for 30 bucks. By Friday, the same crowd that cheered him on Sunday is now shouting this time as he's dragging the heavy wooden cross up to the hill of Golgotha. Just because they're yelling at you doesn't mean you're wrong. But if that's true, then the opposite must be as well. Just because they're yelling for you does not prove you're right. I think Jesus knew that he couldn't put much stock in the support of that crowd on Palm Sunday. They assumed they were finally getting the political and military warrior that had been promised them in the Old Testament. They thought he was the Messiah who would lead Israel to victory over their Roman oppressors and establish national strength. As author and minister Walter Sheridan says, they confused the Lamb of God with the Lion of God and were ready to trade self-sacrifice and peacemaking for power and control. Just because they're yelling for you doesn't mean they understand you. But then comes the final blow. Just because they're yelling for you does not mean they won't turn on you. Which of these two do you want me to release, the governor asks. And the crowd yells at the top of their lungs, give us Barabbas. And what shall I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah, he wants to know. Crucify him. Crucify him. Just because they're yelling for you doesn't mean they won't turn on you. Beloved, what are we yelling today? After mocking him, they stripped Jesus of the robe and put his own clothes on him. They led him away to crucify him. And they went out They came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him, over his head, They put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Let us pray. Lord, you are on your way to Jerusalem under waving palm branches and over your people's cloaks. Our hearts overflow into songs of praises. Hosanna, we cry with the crowds. Blessed are you who comes in God's name. We receive you joyfully but you already know what is ahead. You are on your way to suffering and to death for the sake of our freedom, so we might know that God's abundance is more powerful than the world's brokenness. A cross cannot stop God's story, but only transforms it. This is mystery and wonder. You rode toward the controversy and the cost. You rode towards the curses and the cross. You never wavered, never stopped, eyes set on something we could not discern. 
Yet you puzzle us. You puzzle us with your suffering love that is more powerful than our brokenness. You puzzle us with your freely chosen humility that brings blessings in our weary places. You puzzle us with your forgiveness that summons us beyond our hurt. But you saw clearly, never puzzled. You never wavered, never stopped, eyes set on the path to the cross. So hear us as we pray for clear eyes to approach the cross with the knowledge that you are there with us, that the cross does not define us, that God is here and we are never alone. Ready us to follow you, bearing the cross that we are called to carry. We pray for those for whom death and chaos are all too real, those that know how heavy the cross is. We especially lift up those at Covenant School and Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, a community shattered by yet more gun violence. And so we pray for the families of Evelyn, Hallie, and William, three nine-year-old children whose lives were taken from them, and for Cynthia, Catherine, and Mike, those adults caring for them, and even for Audrey, the shooter who chose to take life. We pray for those who are injured and traumatized and those now helping pick up the pieces. The violence and death is too much, oh God. When will you hear our cries and cease this darkness? We lift up those whose crosses are heavy and need relief, for those that have not yet to experience the freedom and abundance that God intends. Empower us to stand with those who need our strength to enter into suffering as Christ entered into ours. Surround those that need your healing touch. For Betty Williams, Donna Young, Jimmy Bellamy, Mary Stewart Neely, and Ian Phillips, take away any pain and heal them as only you can. And hear us now as we pray that prayer your son taught us saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Oh, 